three, two, one. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make- all the advantages. It's easy. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, episode number two. They let us come back even after our Taco Bell talk the first time. I am Mike Craven, the senior writer for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, joined by my co-host Jay Arnold, former Texas A&M fighting Aggie defensive lineman. Jay, uh, cobwebs off the first time. How are you feeling for for episode number two? Oh man, I'm just uh, ready to dive in. I feel like uh, we got a good flow going in episode one. Just kind of want to keep the momentum going, right? Keep this yeah. thing moving downhill. Keep the momentum going. First down was successful. Now we just got to get second down out of the way. Um, before we get going here, please subscribe, rate, all that kind of stuff to podcasts on, on the Republic of Football Network of, of Dave Campbell's. We already have the Baylor podcast, the Texas podcast, the Rice podcast up from last week, AM as well. Obviously, you're listening to it right now. We have Texas Tech, UTSA, and North Texas uh, de- debuting this week, uh, and we hope to add at least two more uh, by the end of spring practice. So we're off and running halfway uh, to all 13 FBS markets. Uh, we hope to get all the way there by the start of the football season, at least by this time next year. So we appreciate all the love and support so far. It's been overwhelmingly good. I guess I kind of ignore the bad or just don't seek it out at all. So I only see the good. Uh, so we're excited about what's going on right now. Yeah, there is no bad. Uh, there's only uh, constructive criticism that people didn't phrase right. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. I you know, I would, like if you like the journey, the destination doesn't matter. Right. So like, we're going to have fun on the way to wherever this ends up, no matter what, even uh, if we're the only ones listening to it. So I, I think we're doing, we're doing good here. Um, we're going to mix it up a little bit. You know, we, we kind of advertised ourselves as the football and recruiting podcast. And I think that's what will be 98% of the time. But it's March, man. March Madness, the the greatest time on earth. I saw something the other day uh, about the most called in days for a uh, what's a snip snip called? I, I'm drawing a blank there. The the snip snip. Yeah, you know when you're getting when you can't when you uh, uh, vasectomy a vasectomy. Yes. I obviously have not gotten anywhere near that. Uh, snip snap snip. Yeah, snap. snip snap snip snap. <laughs> uh, the the three most called in days for a vasectomy. Do you have any guesses? Uh, I would say Super Bowl Monday. Super Bowl, Super Bowl time. Uh, the first day of March Madness. Yep, first two days of March Madness, and then uh, the Masters. The Masters. The Masters is the other one. So we are we are on one of those days. March Madness is starting. Uh, Texas A and M uh, got the seventh seed in the Midwest region. They will face ten seed Penn State. They are a three point favorite. Aggies twenty five and nine runner up. And the SEC Conference Championship game. The cool part here, though, because neither one of us, we can admit, right? We're not huge. You're not a huge college basketball guy. I'm not yeah. a huge college basketball guy. Yeah. In high school, I was a March Madness guy, which okay. is the uh, the NCAA wrestling tournament. Uh, so n- not a big, uh, not a big basketball guy. But I think March Madness is the one time of year where I do try to tune in to catch a few games because it's just so chaotic. And I love chaos. I remember growing up, I'd always make fun of the whole, like, I'll wait till the playoffs NBA fan. Cause I was a pretty big NBA fan growing up around Houston, just being, a, being in that area uh, when they were really good with Hakeem Olajuwon and stuff. But I've become that with college basketball. I feel like every single year I watch less and less of college basketball. I blame my soccer fandom. Uh, it feels like it's an inverse reaction. Like the more soccer I watch, the less college basketball I watch. Because I'm not somebody, I don't know how you are. I can't watch sports 24 hours, seven days a week. I, I have other interests. I just can't do it. Uh, so I think soccer has taken the place as basketball of my second favorite sport. Yeah, it's hard to, to find the balance. And I also just watch way too many sports. Uh, so it's like between motorsport and, and mixed martial arts and football and hockey and wrestling and uh, rugby and everything else i'm watching uh, it's just hard to squeeze everything in so sometimes things are going to end up on the cutting floor college basketball kind of has for me at least 
But March Madness is a lot of fun. We talked about in the first uh, episode, we are both gamblers. Um, so March Madness presents an opportunity to mostly lose money, if we're being frank. I would imagine on your side as well, I don't do a lot of winning this time of year because, as we just mentioned, I helicopter in. But it's fun to do uh, the brackets and stuff like that. And for our purposes, the real excitement happens if Texas A&M and Texas win on Thursday because that will set up, set up a second-round matchup between the Longhorns and the Aggies. A&M criminally underrated, underseeded. They should have been a higher seed. I imagine that sometime in that room, there was a discussion about if we could get this second round matchup going. They can't convince me otherwise. I will be excited. We can watch. I will watch Texas and Texas A&M play anything against each other because it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, so A&M fans are obviously not thrilled with the seeding. I think A&M was underseeded from the basketball that I've watched and the resumes that I've looked at. I do think that there's perhaps a, a kernel of truth to the fact that uh, Buzz, Coach Buzz, probably upset the committee a little bit last year with some of his strong words. And I also think there's a kernel of truth to the end of the day that we're trying to to get eyes on the TV. Mm-hmm. And a second-round matchup with AM and Texas is going to get eyes on the TV. I mean, I don't think there's any disputing that. So when you look at the, the resumes – yeah, it's it's a little bit frustrating as an AM fan that AM was seated low uh compared to some of the other comparable resumes. But at the same time, if you take care of business at the beginning of the season and out of conference, they don't get a chance to to kind of give you that that uh that shaft that uh AM fans feel like they have received. And of course, last time AM Texas played uh in a big time, you know, kind of men's playoff sport, AM won that game on Omaha in the College World Series. So it's always just good. I mean any rivalry where we can add even more stakes to it, always, always a good thing. I, I agree with you on the Buzz Williams quote. I mean, everybody's human, right? I don't think anybody likes hearing criticism, especially in the public space. So I do think there's a kernel of truth to, to those words kind of coming back uh, to bite the Aggies. As a former player, though, um, I think in all sports, this this holds true. Do you did would you like do you like when a coach stands up for the team publicly, even if there's a little bit? Uh, repercussions down the road would you rather your coach kind of not give anybody press clippings like how to, as a player in the locker room how do you feel about about the the coach kind of saying stuff like that yeah I think you want to have the coach have your back I think yeah. it gives you a little more confidence that in the guy that you're playing for uh, and there I tell people this all the time but generally speaking coaches are gonna say things on camera uh, that are a lot better than, than what you're going to get in the you're, locker room, right? right? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're going to say, you know, we have to go back and work on things. And when you go on film, you're going to get put up on the big screen. And when you make a mistake, they're going to circle you, press play, rewind it, circle you again, press play, rewind it. And you're going to be just highlighted there. Whereas the coach ain't going to throw you in front of the bus or uh, under the bus uh, in, in the media. By the same token, you want that coach that's going to stand up for you like Buzz did. Uh, when last year you think you had a team that should have been playing in the NCAA tournament, it's his job to kind of stump for you. 100%. Uh, and I, I can't have any complaint as a player seeing a coach say that. And may, maybe I would have worded it a little bit differently, maybe not have been so vehement about it. But uh, it's, I think as a player, you just kind of appreciate Uh, the fact that your coach was willing to go to bat for you. Yeah. And I think it's a fair point too, because, you know, like as a media member, if a coach messes up, if players mess up, we ask them a bunch of questions, we hold them accountable. We, we, we write articles. We talk about them on podcasts, on TV, you know, it's gotta be the same for committees and for referees and officials and stuff like that. I would want to play for a coach uh, that had my back and was publicly, you know, maybe, Maybe your boss doesn't like it. Maybe the AD doesn't like it, the SEC commissioner, those kind of guys. But, you know, you're really you're in it for the players in your locker. And that's who you have to make happy first and foremost. And I think you want to play for a coach uh, that that sticks up for you. Uh, I think A&M's got a chance here to really give Texas a run for their money. Uh, I don't know what the SEC is compared to the Big 12, right? I mean, I don't know how that much how much that matters in a one-off game. Uh, but you get Texas, you get Texas A&M in the same gym. You know, on a one game situation, who knows what happens there? Texas has looked, you know, really good, uh, even without uh, Chris Beard, who's now in the SEC. That first trip, that Ole Miss Texas game is going to get interesting pretty quick. Uh, but we should have a Texas team in the final four. Like, if you look at the Midwest bracket, 
you know, Houston's the one seed, Texas is the two seed, A&M there is a seven seed who a lot of people think, you know, should have been better, like a five, maybe even a four seed. Um, so we may have a state of Texas team in, in the final four out of that bracket, seven Texas teams in the, in the, the field overall. Uh, Baylor's a three seed, I believe. Uh, TCU's a six seed. So a lot of, a lot of Texas, a lot of Texas flavor. We've kind of become a basketball state quietly. Like I know we think of Texas as this like football state or whatever, but if we look at national championships, we even look at high school recruiting and the the level of players that we're sticking out. Texas, especially like DFW uh, really has become a a hotbed for basketball talent. Yeah. I mean, and really I think Texas is just the premier athletic uh, state and the in the country, I mean, obviously I'm biased here, but you look at baseball as well yep. uh, with, with the history there. I mean, but sticking with basketball, uh, I don't want to I don't want to completely overlook Penn State either. Uh, that's a, a team that just went to the Big Ten championship uh, and it, it's it's a solid squad. So A&M can't get caught looking ahead uh, to, to the second round for sure. Uh, and in a lot of ways, as as bad as A&M may have got it being a seven seed. Penn State getting AM as their opponent as a 10 seed to the seven seed. Uh, you can't love that draw if you're a Penn State fan either, just because yeah. of what AM, the, the form that AM has been to close the season. That 7 10 matchup always seems to have at least one upset, you know, over, over the over the first couple of days. And as you mentioned, I mean, they're only a three point favorite, you know. So I, I tend to go with Vegas on these things. Give me Vegas over the seeds. Uh, it feels like Vegas seems sees this as a pretty close matchup. So yeah, good point there. Uh, Penn State, you know, that's a tough first round matchup, but I think for all us neutrals, you know, all we want is that Saturday, I would imagine primetime showdown uh, between the Longhorns and the Aggies. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Hopefully, hopefully that comes true. No, in sports though, one of those teams will lose and ruin it for all of us. And it will ruin all of these talking points. We've all, not only us, but everywhere in the world has spent uh, the last few days talking about. Yeah. And I, I also don't love that the, the, tip off is at like 8 55 at night that's well past my bedtime so i don't, I don't know that i'm gonna even catch the game what, what is the normal bedtime these days for jay arnold uh i'm i'm in bed by like 8 30 oh wow is what i try to be at uh unless it's you know it depends on uh the night of the week but for the most part i'm, I'm in bed at 8 30 if i'm not doing anything or if i'm not watching ufc fights or some kind of sporting event when's the last time you've seen the sun come up uh, uh, on the way to work this morning, <laughs> <laughs> on the way to the office, <laughs> I think getting, getting old is being less impressed with how late people can stay up and more impressed with how early somebody can go to bed. So I am very impressed with your ability to get in bed by eight 30. Uh, I'm a, I'm a nine 30, 10 o'clock guy. And that feels very early for me. I used to be an insomniac, like in my twenties, early thirties. Like I could not go to bed between before two or three o'clock in the morning. The pandemic really helped me with that because I was able to just to kind of like find some structure somewhere. I mean, there were days in, in college when I was in the morning workout group had to be up at five 30 and I was still up at like one 30 or two yeah. and just going in and, and, and working out. And I had no problems. If I tried to do that now, I think they would have found me on the, on the corner of uh, Texas and university just yeah. like passed out. <laughs> yeah, I used to do a lot of uppers. I'm, I, I'm eight years clean, so I cannot do it anymore. But I used to see the sun come up more than I would like to admit. And it is a hollow feeling when you're like in the garage or something like that, as people start jogging by you in the early morning, you know, like when they're working out and you still haven't gone to bed, it will make you reevaluate some things. I'll tell you that. I will, I will tell you say that. that that when I went to LSU this past year for the LSU Ole Miss game and helped set up the tailgate in the morning before anyone else was even on campus, except for the joggers. It was pretty funny when we're out there uh, drinking beer and, and getting the getting the food prepped and the tent set up and people are jogging by us. Felt kind of like, ah, oh, well, I guess we have different things that we're studying for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Priorities, <laughs> priorities are different everywhere. Uh, I would imagine a game at LSU. This needs to be a podcast topic for uh, the summer. We'll, we'll talk about where the best places you've gone to see games at. I've been to a, a pretty decent amount of games in different spots, too. I would imagine at LSU is one of the more enjoyable events in college football. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll save it so that we have plenty to talk about when we do that yeah. uh, topic. Yeah. But I think LSU is the best tailgate uh, destination in the nation. 
because I went to the Texas LSU Cotton Bowl uh, when Texas still had like Chris Sims just to date me, but Nick Saban was the head coach of LSU. And that was just at a neutral site bowl game. And LSU was the coolest fan base I've ever been around. Like they were insane. And so like, I can only imagine my brother played at Southeastern Louisiana, which is in Hammond. Uh, and so like they're, you know, they're like Texas state to Texas where they all go to Southeastern Louisiana, but then they, on Saturday, they go to LSU games. Uh, so I, I've heard some stories. I'd imagine that, that's going to be a good June or July topic there for us. Uh, let's get to some Aggie football here uh, for people who haven't turned it off because of our basketball content. Maybe they just fast forward through through the basketball content there if that's not your thing. Uh, but let's talk impact newcomers. a and is going to start spring practice March 20th right now at spring break. Some teams like Texas do a week or two before spring break, take the spring break, and then come after. Texas AM electing to get those 15 practices all in uh, pretty close to each other. Uh, spring game April 14th, but really get kicked off. On the 20th, when we come back from spring break, AM signed 19 signees in the recruiting class out of the prep ranks in the top 15 class, 10 of those early enrollees uh, already on campus, five transfers. So there'll be 24 new faces on the scholarship roster, about a fourth of the team, a, a pretty regular turnover there. Uh, Jay, my, my question to you and what I want to talk about um, out of those out of those 24 new faces, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Who are you most excited to see? Maybe the better question is, who do you think can have uh, the most impact in 2023? Yeah, so I'm looking at this a couple ways. One is the position, right? Uh, offensive line, generally, you're not going to have an, an impact uh, freshman come in uh, as a new recruit. Uh, and A&M didn't get any, uh, any guys coming in on the offensive line as a transfer. So it's, it's not going to be an offensive lineman. Uh, but you look at the fact that, you know, Devon A-Chain is leaving. Uh, I think that really opens up a spot for, for Ruben Owens to possibly be an impact newcomer on offense uh, right away. And then the other guy that I'm looking at offensively is, is Tyron Smith, the transfer from UTEP, uh, just because of what he was able to do out at El Paso. Uh, and, and I think he could be a guy that maybe is under the radar on, on some people's uh, expectations but i think he's uh his skill set could could mesh very well with the aggies early on we don't share notes maybe that's something we should start doing on a google drive because i wrote down two names over here so i could talk about the one you didn't mention uh first up reuben owens running back out of el campo <laughs> second one up tywin smith wide receiver out of utep i we talked about this last week. I, I would imagine I am the most like uh, in-depth UTEP fan you could ever find, right? Like I watch a lot of UTEP football as a function of my job. I love the city of El Paso. Uh, Tyron Smith has been awesome. The last two wide receivers to transfer out of, out of UTEP, Jacob Cowan going to Arizona, had instant success uh, at, at the Division One uh, Power 5 level. I think Smith's the same way. 71 catches, 1,039 yards, seven touchdowns, an all-conference USA player. Um, he's a slot guy. And I think Anaya Smith coming back maybe keeps him from having the level of role he may thought he was going to when he first transferred to AM when he didn't know if Smith was going to come back or not. But having those two guys be able to work the slot, I think AM is going to be excellent. Smith can play maybe a little bit in, as a running back, a, kind of a positionless type football, a little bit there with Smith there as well. Um, so I think he's an impact guy. And then Ruben Owens, just as a, as a guy who works at Dave Campbell's who like has to watch a lot of high school football still to this, like Owens is legit. Like he's the black unicorn for a reason. That's his nickname. That's what he likes to go by. He is excellent. He has great balance, vision. I worry about his size, but it's not like AM is going to ask him to run the ball 25 times a game. And, and Devon A-Chain just proved you don't have to be a monster running back and succeed in the SEC. So I think his speed is going to be a big impact for Texas A&M's offense, even if it's just situationally. Yeah, and I, I do feel bad that uh, maybe we should have shared notes. Uh, no, it's fine. I'm just way, but uh, I guess another guy that we can talk about, too, is uh, – Raymond Cottrell out of Florida, uh, uh, from Milton, Florida. Uh, he's a highly rated wide receiver, kind of came in a little bit later in the class, but uh, a little bit of size at 6'2", uh, maybe is a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's just a real, real natural athlete that could have an impact early on if we're not talking about Ruben Owens and, and Tyron Smith. Yeah, I mean, and injuries are going to happen. Guys are going to emerge, you know, dudes get in trouble or something. You know, you never know. You need depth, right? And I, I think that wide receiver room is pretty good. But but to add another body in there that, that can be an understudy and, and maybe come out of a shell towards the second half of the season, I think that's big for any team, right? 
Um, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, who who are you looking for over there? I mean, I think we uh, we know the big name in this class is going to be David Hicks. Yeah, uh, he's going to be the obvious one uh, defensively. But there's a pair of transfers come in at the corner position: Sam McCall and Tony Grimes. Uh, both of them were were highly recruited athletes, uh, and and Grimes as well was kind of flirting with AM throughout the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he comes he brings a little bit of a veteran presence, I think, to the uh, uh, to the secondary there. Uh, uh, and obviously, the defense has uh, has room for improvement. Secondary wasn't really as much of the issue last year, but it'll be good to see uh, you know two uh, two highly rated transfers come in and compete at those positions. Yeah. I mean, to your point, A&M led the nation in passing defense last year in terms of, in terms of uh, yards given up. Um, they're kind of quietly becoming like DBU re- recently, right? Like that secondary has been <laughs> excellent. Uh, the cornerbacks, the safeties, just a lot of time. I, mean, I do like Texas 10 rankings every single year with like the 10 most, you know, 10 best returning at each position. I feel like once I get to the defensive back, it's all, Aggie, you know, it's like three Aggies, four Aggies on the list. Antonio Johnson last year, obviously awesome. Jalen Jones going to be another guy that gets uh, gets uh, picked in the NFL draft. But even losing some of those guys, you look back over at it and you're like, man, uh, Tyreek Chappelle is still there. Uh, the safety position is excellent. Bryce Anderson, Damani Richardson's back for like seemingly his 10th year. He's on the Perry Ellis college train. Um, and so I, I think they're going to be really good at the defensive backs, right? And when you can bring in two guys that are, that are starters, like those are starter level dudes, even in the SEC, you got three really talented cornerbacks. You got three really talented safeties. That's going to be another strong group for AM. Yeah. And I think if you can slot somebody over to the nickel spot to yeah. replace uh, Antonio Johnson, obviously that's uh it's a very solid defensive backfield that I think is the strength of AM. And yet you just kind of add to the strength. I think that's just a, a, a win-win for everybody. I think that's a good point too, because like which one of those guys is most likely to, to be that nickel air apparent, right? Like I think Chappelle could be one of those guys, but Tony Grimes is a big dude. Um, so is, so is McCall at, at 6'1", 182, but, but Grimes, I remember covering him as a recruit and he's around 200 pounds. He was always fit. He, he can tackle. He's an aggressive dude. I think he's a guy to watch as a nickel as well, because AM likes to use that guy as basically a third safety. And it's a, it's a more physical role than maybe nickel has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like you said, he's, and it gets him in trouble sometimes with his hands. Right. But, uh, I, I think, uh, in the way AM uses it. Uh, Tony Grimes could be pretty successful there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the emergence of the tight end has kind of, you know, cause like for a while tight end went out and now it's back in, in a really heavy way. And that's made that nickel spot a uh, different than it was when the four, two, five was created to kind of stop the four wide two, two air raid, air raid split guys. For sure. Um, and then David Hicks, I, like before we move on, I mean, Texas A&M was 123rd in rush defense last year. They were not good at getting after the passer either. Adding a dude who's a three technique who can play uh, almost any spot along the defensive line is really good. I wrote the cover story on David Hicks on our rising magazine, just a quick plug uh, for that magazine as well. I remember asking, you know, I go, you know, you're like 6'5", 290. You've probably been the best athlete on any single field that you've ever been in. Your dad's a, an excellent coach who's played college football. You know, what, what it, you know, he's a smart kid. He's got a great smile, personable, all that kind of stuff. I was like, what, what was the biggest thing? What was the biggest challenge you've ever faced? And like, without changing his expression, he goes, well, I got shot. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that, that, it that counts. That counts as a thing that you got over. So a, a tough kid, obviously my question to you as a former defensive lineman is he's not going to get here till the summer. Uh, how hard is it? to just physically take, I know he's a huge guy who's plenty powerful and all that kind of stuff, but like you're going to get blocked by Bryce Foster your first day on campus, right? Like how different is that to, and how long do you need to adjust before you're like ready to play some football? <laughs> well, and I, I can speak to this personally, right? Uh, I was a defensive lineman coming in as a true freshman. Uh, I ended up getting some playing time. First of all, let me just say David Hicks is a prospect of way higher ceiling than I ever had. Uh, and I think he's going to be much more of an impact player than I ever was. <laughs> but you talked about coming in with Bryce Foster and, and those guys. The offensive line that I came in there and, and got to practice against day one was uh, Jake Matthews, Cedric Abwehi, uh Jermaine Afedi, Jarvis Harrison, and uh, Mike Matthews. So uh, pretty good. I, it, it is quite an adjustment 
whenever you get in there uh, and realize that everyone around you is an incredible athlete. You're not just the top guy on the field anymore. Uh, with that being said, I think David Hicks is one of those guys that's going to come in and adjust to the work rate of college football pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, being a coach's son, he's going to have a little bit more knowledge yeah. of what goes into it. Uh, you always like to get guys in in the spring if you can. But, I mean, I was a summer guy, and I ended up contributing as a freshman. So, uh, like I said, Hicks is going to be – a stud right away. I think he's going to be a contributor immediately. And I think he's already going to have that work ethic installed that he needs to, but as soon as he gets on campus in the summer, uh, he gets in the weight room. I think he's going to impress a lot of people. And he was our number one player in the state. He's the number one DT ranked nationally. Uh, I would imagine he's going to get plenty of snaps there uh, for that defense. And not only is his dad a coach, uh, his dad's a former linebacker at Grambling. who was also like a weightlifter, like a professional power lifter, like weightlifter, bodybuilder guy uh, after college. So that family loves the weight room. I don't think he shows up out of shape or anything like that, but there's still an adjustment. You're still an 18 year old kid playing against grown men who some, you know, some of them got families and stuff like that. You know, now they're all paying taxes and everything. So there, there's an adjustment there uh, to be made for sure. Is, is that why skill position guys tend to be the quickest on the field is they don't have to deal with just the physical brutality of some of the other positions. I think that's part of it. And it's also just uh, the speed that you have, the, the speed of the game is going to change, hmm. but the speed you have as a skill position guy, uh, I think is, is always going to be part of your game and it's not necessarily a, as much of an adjustment. Right. Uh, I think fast is fast, fast is fast. And uh, like you said, adding on the weight, those are things that you can play and, and be a contributor at skill positions easily, even without having the weight uh, to, to necessarily be an effective blocker or an effective uh, defensive lineman uh, plugging your gap. Uh, there, there are certain things that you just have to be bigger. Uh, when you're playing in the trenches, I mean, taking on a double team with guys, like I was saying, like with the size of, of Jermaine Effetti and, and Cedric Abwehi, that's uh that's just a different level uh, of, of double team coming at you than you're ever going to be used to in college. And you need more mass to be able to do that, uh, handle those situations right away. And then I, I know the transfer portal wasn't as, as prevalent uh, when you were around, probably not as many new guys coming in that way. I, I know you never transferred, but like, is there also, what's the adjustment of just being the new guy on the team? Like what what's what's the adjustment like for guys like Tony Grimes? That, what, it, what is that like for them? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a very competitive environment anyway. So you're coming in with, with new freshmen and, and, and guys that have already been in there. And then there's always a little bit of tension uh, just because, uh, everybody wants their, uh, wants to be that starter. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're also all athletes trying to work towards the same goal. The adjustments happen pretty quick. I mean, you know, who's going to end up on the field. Uh, you can, there's going to be competition and there's going to be some hard feelings at the end of the day when somebody misses out, but it's not like, Oh, there's a new kid here. Like, what is this guy doing? And everybody, <laughs> everybody pretty much knows, Hey, you're here to do a job. It's more like adjusting to a new face in the workplace than anything. Yeah. And I, I guess as a player, you know, who's better and who's not too, right? Like, I mean, you see it every single day. So you know, if you should be starting or if you shouldn't be starting. Yeah. It's, it's knowing uh, who's better than also who studied the playbook. Right. Right. That's maybe an underrated aspect that we don't talk about enough. Uh, even defensively, like you got to get in the playbook, know what your role is. Uh, Cause you will get highlighted on film the first time you make a mistake. You know, and then the portal, you know, again, it's been a relatively new thing. I mean, I got, you know, guys could transfer for, for all time, but you had to sit out a year. So it was less prevalent back in your day, back in my day. But um, I think so far we're seeing that offensive transfers sometimes can struggle. Uh, but defensive trans transfers have been pretty instant impact. Like it, it's a little bit uh, easier, it seems like, uh, to come in as a defensive guy and play. I think to your point, that could be playbook stuff, right? Like it's a little bit harder to work your way into like being the, the wide receiver than maybe the corner. Yeah, and, and it's the difference between offense and defense being proactive versus reactive, right? Sure. As a defense, you're going to be a lot more reactive. Uh, the impact that you have or, or what a play call is is going to be simple for the most part. I mean, there's some blitzes that you're going to have to get into. But you're looking at the guy across from you or your assignment more than you are uh, having to really dive into a route tree. Uh, 
Sure. Uh, not not to say that defense can't be complex, but I just think that offenses tend to be a little bit more difficult to learn. And obviously there's going to be differences in terminology as well, but I mean, cover three is cover three. Uh, yeah. Man is man. Like when you look at offenses, I, I feel like there's just so many different words for a given route or, or a given run concept that, that change based on where you are. Whereas I feel like you can get into a defensive playbook. And once you learn the terminology for a certain coverage or a certain assignment, you can make that adjustment pretty quickly. And it does feel like defenses rotate a little bit more. So like, even if you're not like a quote unquote starter, you're going to play, play a little bit more it, harder to be labeled a bust right on defense. Cause you're going to get some stats and stuff like that uh, as a transfer. That's an excellent point though. You, you talked about like just the offensive terminology and how quick that can change. Well, AM has got a new offensive coordinator. Um, so like, what do we think that adjust, how much of spring is just learning the new name, new words, right. Learning the new language. How much is, is out there going and executing? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of learning new, uh, terminology because I mean, even when I, I, I only played under Mark Snyder when I was at A&M, but I, I sat in on a few of the meetings as I was in the process of, of, uh, getting my medical hardship for my shoulder when, when John Javis came in. And I mean, even that was just a ton of new terminology. And, and like I said, offensive playbooks are going to be bigger than defensive playbooks. Yeah. So the amount of new terminology and, and new concepts and new plays, the offense is going to have to learn is going to be even greater than anything that we would have experienced defensively. All right. Uh, we also want to talk about more than just football, right? Like I, I want to get, I, I thought this would be a fun idea. I wanted to talk to you about Texas A&M traditions. Cause as we know, Aggies in their traditions, uh, a pretty, pretty tight in group. You know, the Venn diagram is, is pretty close to a circle there, right? Y'all love Y'all love traditions. I'm an outsider, went to UTSA, did not, did not go to AM. and uh, So I kind of, from an outsider perspective, wanted to go through some of the traditions and get your thoughts as an insider of what of what to expect, or maybe like just more of a layman's description of what they are, because some of these feel very secret. Okay. So, some of them I may not know. I'm not the, okay. uh, I'm not the best Aggie. I have been referred to as a two percenter before. Okay. Uh, I'm still a diehard A&M fan, but I... I I may have to uh, adjust uh, your your standing or your uh, your belief in me as an Aggie. Activist, okay, depending, all right. Well, depending we'll, on we'll, how I do, maybe we'll learn together. We'll learn together through this process. Uh, fish camp. Let's just start. Let's start at number one. Right. <laughs> what What was your experience of fish camp? So, as an athlete, I did not go to fish camp. Oh, well, okay. Well, how's that yeah. work? Yeah. So uh, we uh, we were going through. Uh, summer at the uh, in the weight program mm. so we didn't really have the option of going to fish camp I, I don't know what all goes on at fish camp I hear that's like the indoctrination maybe that's why I don't know all the traditions as much right we're uh, starting we're starting to get to where the two percent comes from you didn't have, <laughs> you didn't go to fish camp exactly they did have like some of the fish camp counselors come talk to us and teach us like a couple of things uh, at uh, <laughs> at the bright complex uh, while we were kind of getting ready during two days but uh yeah our fish camp experience is very limited as athletes have you ever been to palestine texas uh i have driven through okay i have not stopped in palestine okay uh their press box has excellent food uh, east texas high school press boxes far and away the best food because they don't get uh they don't just go to like golden chick or you know chick-fil-a or like it's just somebody makes food like i feel like for most east texas press boxes there's just people bringing like homemade mac and cheese and barbecue and like whatever else they made that it, they have really good popcorn adrian peterson one of the best high school football players i've ever seen and that's what i will always think of as pa uh, of palestine texas I mean, I wouldn't be mad if I got some chicken express. Uh, no, it's not bad. Box. It's not that bad. Be, that wouldn't be terrible. It's but, not uh, bad, but I can get chicken express anywhere. I, I can't, I sometimes can't get home, home cooked food. Right. And as a single man on the road a lot, uh, any type of like homemade, anything, it, it was a very good thing back in those days. Definitely understand that. Where is your Aggie ring? Oh, look at that. See, see that what that a two percenter wouldn't wouldn't be wearing it. That's a, I, I pretty much always wear this unless I'm uh, doing something that would be in a body of water, in which case I am not taking it anywhere close to the body of water. Uh, the the ring stays on for the most part. It's uh, 
that that's one of the traditions that obviously like when you're getting pitched as a recruit to come to AM, uh, the Aggie ring is going to be a selling point. Mm. Uh, they always take you and they, they talk about how uh, once you get out in the real world, when you're, when you're done playing football, you run into somebody with an Aggie ring and they introduce themselves and talk about their class year. It's like, Oh, I saw your ring. I mean, it's, that's a real thing that happens. And, you know, it's, it's joked about is like, Oh, you're wearing a class ring. Like, but it, it's a big part of the Aggie network. And uh, I actually appreciate the ring quite a bit. That's one of the traditions that I, uh, I enjoy. I think this is a product of going to a directional school that was opened in 1969, but I, I never understood the class ring thing. My dad wears his T ring uh, everywhere. He was a reserve tight end for Texas, you know, when he was in college in the eighties and he wears his T, T ring. And I, I just never even thought about get. I don't even know if UTSA gives that. I have no idea. I didn't even go to graduation. I, I don't know. I got my diploma in the mail. Um, so I, I am not, I, this is why I wanted to go through this. Cause I am not, uh, I don't have any experience with college tradition. Like we didn't even have a football team at UTSA when I was there. Right. So like I went to mostly just like class sometimes, you know what I mean? But there wasn't this like feel of university. The next one on my list, I wanted to mention because it is my favorite part of the A&M campus. And I don't know if students really care about this as much, but I, the century tree, I think is like one of the coolest things. Do you, 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 do you plan on proposing under the century tree? Like what's your, what, what's your what's your idea here yeah i'm an aggie dating an aggie so okay uh, okay century tree is definitely prominently figured uh in, in perhaps future plans but i don't want to dive into it too much yeah 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 uh, don't don't spoil anything but have y'all <laughs> walked through the tree have y'all walked under the tree together yet we haven't uh, we okay probably need to make a point of that uh, yeah. at some point because i've always uh, heard that if you do that that means you're together forever so maybe you want to wait on that i don't know i don't want to put anything into your, <laughs> into your, into your thing i'm a, no I'm, pressure. a divorce, I'm a divorce guy so my sometimes my cynicism uh pops out no it's a it's a really cool tradition and you know you'll see i mean i've going to a&m i've seen a few proposals under the tree myself that I didn't know were going to happen and people I didn't know seen strangers, but it's fun to watch people stop and, and participate in that tradition. Have you ever placed a penny on the base of the soul Ross statue? I have not. Okay. Uh, I was not one that subscribed to the, the luck on tests mostly because I uh, didn't start setting till the night before. And it didn't really leave me much time to, to walk by the statue to put a penny on. I, I was, uh, studying up until the very last minute. So uh, I like to say that I got by on my own. I didn't need any luck from a statue. And then another one I wanted to ask you, uh, and I didn't know about the fish camp thing, but this may be the exact same thing. Are you? Have, did you go to a midnight yell practice? Were you all allowed to go to midnight yell practices the day before games? No, uh, we did I didn't not think so. I didn't practices. think so, yeah. So I have been to midnight yell at the stockyards in Fort Worth. And then also... They did a midnight yell at a Chewy's in Birmingham before nice. A&M played Alabama. Nice. Uh, but I've never been to a midnight yell on campus. I've only been to midnight yells at away games. <laughs> What's up with that? I mean, you've been graduated for a while now. How are how you not? We, we, for a podcast, we need to both go to a midnight yell, maybe before well, like the Bama game or something. Yeah, the issue is I always go to Northgate on Friday night before. <laughs> and I, I tell myself that I'll make it to midnight yell. And sure enough, it gets close to midnight and I'm still at Northgate and I realize that I do not want to walk onto campus and uh, go to midnight yell. So uh, the, the practice eludes me. Maybe one of these days I'll uh, I'll skip Northgate and actually go to midnight yell. That feels like a tale as old as time. Like that's probably, that's probably something that's happened to many an Aggie for many a years there on there in college station. I, I have to imagine that it's uh it's a little bit of an epidemic. Do you ever get sick of the song? You know what I mean? The Aggie Warhead, like, I feel like it's like a uh, Rocky top for Tennessee, right? I, I know a couple guys who played for Tennessee and they'll admit that like, sometimes they'd like to hear a different song. You ever, you want to ever want to just request a different song? Uh, honestly, like with Aggie Warham, I don't think it's overplayed as much as like Rocky top or uh boomer sooner. Like those, yeah, I feel boomer like those songs, bad too. boomer sooner is bad feel like too. They get played. I mean, yeah, not just like, at the fourth quarter at the start of the game but like throughout the game like it, it, yeah. it is a constant constant uh just peppering of, of boomer center or rocky top i will say that i have been like since a&m's band only plays military numbers 
I, I've been trying to get an institute, uh, institute a new practice where A&M's band plays uh, El Deguelo, El Deguelo, <laughs> for, uh, from, yeah. from the Alamo, right? It was mm-hmm. uh, Spanish for slit throat. And uh, Santa Ana had his, his troops play that before the, the uh, play that before they, uh, you know, decided to kill everybody at the Alamo. But I thought that would be really fun and intimidating to play at the start of the fourth quarter for AM's band. Sadly, they have not uh, listened to my proposal. Well, it didn't really turn out very well for old Santa Ana. I mean, maybe on that, maybe on that day it did. Uh, but, you know, the, the larger, uh, we just celebrated that, right? You know? Yeah, Texas I think it was Independence, Independence Day. Day. Yeah. Uh, we're big on that here. We're, we're, we're pro Texas independent day, independence day on Aggie war podcast. I need to get that out. I need to get that out after the slit slit throat reference there. <laughs> we have to be, it's, it's uh, the Republic of football. That's right. That's right. It's the Republic of football. We didn't make that out of nowhere. Uh, do you say good bull? I do say good bull on occasion. I probably not as much as, and it also depends on the company I'm in. Sure. Right. Like again, around Aggies, definitely more likely to say good bull, especially especially when I'm back on campus. I think it's a great phrase. I wish I could adopt it. I, I know that I'm not supposed to say it, right? It's like the whoop thing, right? You're not, you're not allowed to do it unless you're like, you know, an Aggie of, of a certain ilk or whatever. But I love the phrase good bull. I think that's tremendous. I, I didn't know that was like an Aggie phrase forever, um, but I think I think it's tremendous. I, I am a, a big fan of the good bull. It's, uh, it's one of the uh, the better sayings, I think. And then who, this is last for me, who was the best 12th man you ever played with? Oh, man, that's tough. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Hard hitting, hard so hitting capital J stuff here. I, I played with two, The I, I guess I should really say, I only played with one 12th man, but another guy that became the 12th man became the 12th man after I stopped playing. Gotcha. And was somebody that is probably the most well-known 12th man in recent history, Colin Gillespie. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Sam Miller was, was, was pretty damn good whenever he was the 12th man as well. He had some big plays. Uh, I guess I have to say, you know, with, with Colin actually getting the touchdown in the bowl game against NCAA, NC state, I think I have to give him the nod here. How is that given out? How is that determined? Is that just a coach thing? Is there a player? Like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, it just he has to be a walk on whenever it's granted, and right. I think it's I think it's the coaching staff, but I'm not sure. We may have voted on it. I don't know. It's been a long time, and I took a lot of knocks to the head in those days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the? Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I was I had one more. Oh, the howdy. Do you do you rely on howdy? So I, I do use howdy whenever I'm in A and M, but. I've been watching this uh, Australian YouTuber for a while, and it's slowly kind of morphed into "Hi again," and <laughs> that's just pretty much what I say as a greeting nowadays. Unless I'm back in Aggieland and reminded that "Howdy" is the official greeting of Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, I'm country, so I just thought that was just how people greeted each other. You know what I right. mean? Like, I I don't know how that got co-opted to a college station thing. Uh, but I just remember just as a media guy walking around camp, you know, you hear howdy or whatever, and you just say howdy back, but I don't know if I'm breaking any rules. It's like walking on, there's a lot of rules at Texas A&M. That, I, think, I, I think that's my issue, right? It's like, I never know what grass, like how I can walk, where I can walk, what's going on. Well, the uh, MSC grass is the grass that you don't walk on. That's okay. The, okay. The building that you, uh, you take your hat off before you enter. Uh, it was, so my, the other podcast that I do that's college football related uh, the get back coach with my buddy, Jake, he came down from, from Penn state. And, and we've joked that it's the uh, cultural exchange with an emphasis on cult <laughs> because of the programs, but taking him to the MSC for the first time. And like, you know, you go through and the grass is a living memorial. That's why you don't step on the grass okay. and, and taking through the, the medal of honor recipients wing. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool experience. See, I'm already learning something because I just thought it was like just the grass on campus. So I've been walking sidewalks and like avoiding walking through grass in, in College Station for like 30 years now. <laughs> well, my baseball coach in high school, we weren't allowed to walk on the grass. Uh, it's not a bad rule, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of work goes into to lawn yeah. care. So it's not a terrible rule. But yeah, the MSC grass is the only grass I think that's actually uh, you're not supposed to walk on. 
Uh, I will say that you probably shouldn't walk on the grass at the golf course either. You might get hit. So there you go. <laughs> those, are the, those are the two. There you go. There you go. I, I don't know. Like I sometimes wish I had gone to like a big school because of, because of like just the traditions on it. But then other times it's like, man, that's just like a lot. I don't know. I enjoyed the like anonymity on, on like a UTSA campus, right? Like you just went to class, you left. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, group functions that I think it's changed now because football can bring a campus together in a way uh, that other things can't. But when I was at UTSA, you saw as many A&M shirts as you saw UTSA shirts. Uh, we just did not have traditions like that. I mean, I guess it was a new school as well. Yeah. And uh, I mean, trailer also has put a pretty big emphasis on San Antonio's. That's true. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the two one Oh triangle of toughness and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it is changing. I think, I think winning obviously helps. Um, but just having something that you can do together as students, like the midnight yell or going to football games or having fish camp, any of that kind of stuff to bring you, it can sound hokey from the outside, but I think it is something that keeps people around 20, 30, 50, 60 years later, because you got a real tie to campus in a way that I just don't at my college. Right. And I mean, like you said to football too, I mean, it's, especially in like San Antonio, I mean, I feel like that city was really hungry for football so that's kind of maybe up the environment of it but i mean like you said if you can get a group of people to all rally behind a certain cause uh you're going to get massive gatherings and uh have a little bit more enthusiasm so i think it's definitely part of why a&m is so special my favorite part of a&m games my favorite is like when they start locking arms and they start swaying right because i am normally in the press box and i swear to you i know this is probably said other places it rocks it shakes like you you go back and forth of it and i don't know if everybody knows this but a&m's press box is higher than anywhere else in the state nrg uh, the houston texans press box and texas a&m are the highest ones in the state i can be a little bit scared of heights and you get up that thing and it starts swaying. Like, what does that feel like? What does it feel like from the, from the stand, like from the actual state, like in the field? Yeah. So on in the field, it's kind of just wild to look up and see that sway. It's uh, it's almost hypnotizing uh, watching the motion. And uh, you know, I, I've talked to guys from other teams and like after the game and, and they're kind of just blown away by watching it. And they're like, yeah, dude, like we stopped on our sideline and looked up at it. Cause it was crazy to see. Uh, I couldn't imagine being a kicker. Yeah, (laughs) it was like a free throw, you know, like when they start doing stuff behind the basket, they started doing that during, during field goals and and extra points. That would probably be uh, a little bit, a little bit unfair, but thankfully for the kickers, they don't. Yeah. You get motion Uh, sickness back there. Yeah, No kidding. I mean, I almost get motion sickness up in the stands, especially (laughs) when you're like at the very top, Whenever it, the, yeah. the sawn them off began swaying back and forth, that gets a little bit sketchy. That's what I'm saying. You're up there in the press box and you're like worried. You're like, I, I mean, I need to see the zoning stuff on that. Like, I need to see the last time this thing <laughs> has passed an inspection because I know it's been up there for a long time. It starts swaying. That actually brought up a, a thing I wanted to talk, ask you about. What was that experience like the first time you got to just go to an Aggie football game as a fan, not as a player, but just as like somebody going that got to participate in some of this stuff that, as you mentioned, as a football player, you just got so much going on. You're just not a normal student. You can't do all that stuff all the time. Yeah. So this is a weird one because I've never actually sat on in the student section at A&M because uh, even when I like stopped playing and, and had my medical since I was still on scholarship, I still got tickets to the game. Right. But my tickets were like by the recruits and the families. So I was always on the, uh, the home side, uh, the closest I've gotten to, to being among the students is kind of in the South end zone. Uh, and even then it's still not quite the student section. And, you know, obviously student sections are their own animal, but it, it was still just kind of so really cool to, to, to go to a game and, and saw them off and, and watch everything happen but i'll be honest with you the best part is being able to tailgate before the games <laughs> <laughs> there is plenty to do uh before and it's gotten it's pretty now too like they they've yeah, really the done new, a great job which i'll be the the new aggie park which is yep. a new kind of tailgating setup is just gorgeous top notch uh i mean it's fantastic i'll be there in may uh there's a big barbecue and music festival going on uh, called Troubadour Fest that's in Aggie Park. And, and I can't wait to experience that there. But I mean, just being able to like kind of 
eat food and, and mingle with people and and chat at the tailgate before the game before going into the stadium uh it's just a completely different animal than sitting in the locker room with your nerves going over assignments and 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 basically trying to get ready to go to to battle out there on the field i mean it's just a completely different mindset uh I, I will say that though sometimes during the games it's more stressful to watch as a fan because oh, you have that, no yeah. control whatsoever mm-hmm. over the outcome. Yeah. Uh, once you get into the game as a player, the adrenaline's going and you're just focused on your assignment as a fan. You're like, Oh my, like, wh- what am I looking at here? There's I, I, I'm half the time. I'm tempted to just jump over the, the barriers and, and yell at the defensive line. <laughs> so you just, so you you immediately became the fan that was like call the touchdown play you know what i mean like you 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 like <laughs> immediately went from player to like the guy that you probably hated behind you at, at like high school games your whole life no 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 i didn't i didn't get that bad it's all internalized for me okay uh just because i i am so used to that guy that you're talking about that's uh just constantly screaming get him every okay. time uh every time you're on defense or right. run the damn ball every time you're on offense mm-hmm. uh Unless it doesn't work, unless it doesn't work. And then it was like, why did you run the ball again? Everybody could have seen that coming. Yeah, exactly. I I have internalized all those feelings. uh, Thanks to the years of trauma inflicted by the fans behind me. Yeah. Mine's from just being in the press box. Like I, I can't even like imagine sitting in the stands around like the, the normal folk anymore and like listening to all that kind of stuff. Cause like it has to be silent or it's at least supposed to be. There's some places that, <laughs> that allow more cheering in a press box than you would imagine, but uh, especially in the SEC. Uh, but uh, I, I just, I, I like the solace of it. You're right. To where like, even as a fan at home, I'm a pretty quiet sports watcher because I'm just used to not being able to like, express what i'm feeling on the inside except for soccer when i'm watching like liverpool soccer i become as close to like a fanatic as anything in the world and i don't know if you like go to the pub to watch liverpool or if you're watching at home but like when i go to watch tottenham games there's something just infectious about everybody yelling yeah something about soccer i don't even know what i'm yelling half the time i'm just like screaming at the the ref or or whoever uh made a mistake and i i think you're right there's something about soccer I think also it's something about not knowing all of the intricacies to the sport, right? Like somebody starts yelling something in a football game and I'm not a former college football player, but I've been around it enough to where I'm like, well, you couldn't throw it to that guy because the safety is over the top. You know, I can explain why the thing couldn't happen, but like in soccer, I never played it. So I'm just like, put the ball into the freaking net, like just shoot yeah. the ball, you know, and stop, it's stop like, making turnovers. Exactly. Just do the, do the score thing, you know, and score more than the other team and, and don't let them kick it into the net. I mean, it's a very simple game. Uh, from the outside so um yeah that'll do us for episode two we're through we're through two we only got derailed with with a little bit of the other football talk at the end yeah well i mean if somebody's hanging in for 40 minutes we we deserve five you know for ourselves there at the end exactly i think uh i think it's a little bonus that some people appreciate as well i think that's the hardest part about podcasting is trying to find the balance between how much just like in-depth sports talk topics topic talk that you do and then how much just kind of like fluff personality accessory stuff that you do to kind of keep it fun and the great podcasts find a a balance of those two at least the ones i like maybe that maybe i'm just projecting what i enjoy in a podcast yeah i mean i think if uh if the person you listen to is having fun you're having fun right that's what's important right I have the voice though that sounds like I'm never having fun. You know, it's been it's been a problem of mine my whole life. Like I think the most frequent question I'm asked in life is like, what's wrong? We'll have to get you some like Gus Johnson enthusiasm on the podcast. Yeah, point. I do not have that level of energy. I I joke like I I'm not like I don't think there's anything that I'm as excited about as like Gus Johnson is like on an October Saturday just calling play. Like I just can't imagine. I would be so tired. Like how do people have that kind of energy like i just don't have it it's wwe announcers are the ones that like are, are wild to me because you know the outcome and you still have to have right. that kind of crazy like every moment's at the edge of your seat uh excitement that's what makes pat pat mcafee so good and just like so annoying at the same time because <laughs> it's like that has to be fake like you can't have that amount of energy is that how he orders food like he Look, goes to water burger and that's just how he talks to people I am a big Pat McAfee fan, and I would not be surprised if that's just how he is 100% of the time. That's amazing, because Gus Johnson's like that. 
Like you, you talk to Gus Johnson and just like, you know, talk, and he's, he's like that excitable. And you're like, wow, he doesn't turn it off. This is genuine. I think that's why Gus gets a pass. I guess Pat may be that kind of guy, but it feels, I guess as somebody who's an intro, it feels manufactured because I can't imagine having it, but I think that's just speaking my own problems into existence there. <laughs> I definitely feel you on that. I, I go through stages. I can't imagine doing it uh, as, as often as those guys do it, but I, I appreciate it. I love having that energy brought to it. It helps me get fired up as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's entertainment. It's, I mean, sports is, is supposed to be fun, right? Um, Thursday, Friday, what are you doing for the first two rounds of, of the, of the, of the tournament? Like, do you, you gotta, you gotta go to job. Have you come up with your job excuse yet? How does this work for you? <laughs> I will just be watching uh, on my computer at work and, and, you know, if anybody has a problem with it, I'll just click off of it real quick uh, to, to get out of trouble. But uh, I can't help but but tune into sports whenever I'm at work. It's just too much of a part of who I am. Thursday night, late tip off, 8.55, I believe, Central Time, something like that. What's Jay Arnold drinking? What's Jay Arnold eating during a game? Yeah, so for a Thursday night game, I will probably uh, have a glass of water by my bedside table, and I will be listening to it until i fall asleep okay. uh, I, again i i 855 is is a little so bit this is no go for you you there's no chance you're getting through this whole game we'll see how it goes i'm, I'm really hoping that like one team or the other jumps out to a massive lead <laughs> and i can in good conscience just kind of call it a night there you go uh, there you go but yeah i mean 855 is just uh it's a little bit late for me i'll be drinking Maybe a dr a pepper night. I'll be drinking Dr. Pepper because I'll need the caffeine. Yeah. If it, if it was like a Friday night game, I would be staying up. Yeah. Uh, but, but Thursday night, I, I just can't, can't justify it. You got early mornings, huh? You're, you're saying you're in the car on the way to work and you saw the sunrise come up. I, I think we got different morning routines. Yes. Yeah, I'm in the office at seven every morning. Oh my so, gosh. Uh, what's an office? Uh, do what? I said, what's, what's an, an office? office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 uh it is a very dark depressing place uh that that people gather in their misery uh because misery loves company that's that's an office for you i never worked in an office until i got to dave campbell's and they moved me to dallas for a year i, I say i did a one-year bid up, up in dallas at, at, in the office and i had never gotten a sitcom the office until i like actually went to an office all the time and then i started watching the office and now it is much funnier than it was to me because i just didn't i just didn't get the dynamics of it but i never want to go back they let me move back to austin i go up there maybe twice a month if that show my face but yeah i am not i am not an office person i don't understand why we need to gather together to work maybe it's because i'm in an industry to where you can tell if somebody's working or not because there's like a story out or there's not a story out you don't really need to check anybody's work uh, but i've just never understood the idea of an office I like a little bit of a hybrid action for myself. Yeah, hybrid's probably like the best. See, seeing somebody every once in a while to to kind of uh, get the ideas generated that maybe you don't get when you're uh, not having the person next to you. But uh, other than that, yeah, I, uh, I would like to to be able to work from home too. Yeah. My office is like practices and press conferences and, and games and stuff. I see plenty of people that way. I don't need... I don't need the other stuff, even though I like my coworkers. I, I've always liked my coworkers. It's just, I don't need to see them all the time. I, we talked last episode. I don't need to see my own family on Thanksgiving, right? I don't need yeah. to see uh, my coworkers at the office, but uh, we will be, I, I'm going to be at a couple of spring practices. I'll probably be at the first one next week. Uh, maybe we can get together go to the spring game, figure something out uh, there as mid April comes about. Uh, but we're going to be doing this every single Monday. We'll record it Monday night. It'll be out Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon at the latest. We appreciate all the uh, feedback so far, positive and negative. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what we should talk about less of, what we should talk about more of, um, less me, more Jay, I'd imagine. And then, you know, just what topics we want to do from there. Uh, but we're excited. Like next week, we'll actually have like real football. I mean, kind of real football uh, to talk about. There will be helmets hitting other helmets. And that's always a good thing. Depends on who you ask, but yes. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you know, like like you were saying, I mean, we love to hear from y'all, everyone, what y'all want us to talk about. Uh, criticism. Make sure you give the uh, the Twitter a follow at yep. Andy Warpod uh, to make sure that we stay up to date. We're gonna update that with uh, announcements. You know if any kind of big uh, breaking news happens, we may end up doing an emergency pod. So yep. we'll, we'll see what happens as the season goes on or as the spring goes on. But uh, Looking forward to keeping this going. 
I think uh, something we want to start doing, or at least something I've thought about doing is like kind of doing it. We need to get like three or four questions from like social media and do just kind of like a hashtag ask Jay type situation here uh, where fans can kind of write in questions about either your playing career or whatever, barbecue, uh, current Aggies, whatever. Uh, but yeah, we're just trying to have fun. Uh, this is for y'all, right? So like, just let us know what you want to listen to, what you want, don't want to listen to. Please rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And and hate, listen to the other podcast. You know what I mean? We got a Texas podcast there that you can listen to uh, to make fun of me for what I say on that one as well. So we got it. We got everything for you. Uh, texasfootball.com. We're not just a magazine. I feel like I have to tell that to everybody still. Uh, we're not just a magazine. We're doing stuff digitally. So please check us out there. Uh, for Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, we will talk to you next week.